Ah, and we are live. Welcome back to Takes by Fans. We got a great show for you today. As always, we are live every single day at noon Eastern. If you want to watch it live, head over to twitch.tv slash Takes by Fans. If you want to watch but not live, head over to our YouTube channel, Takes by Fans. We post all of our shows and clips of the show there on a daily basis. And if you just want to listen, we are on podcasting apps, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. So, However you want to watch or listen, we've got you covered multiple ways. Alrighty, today is a big old Monday, folks. No NBA on tonight, but tomorrow, game six, baby. Can the Bucks close it out at home? Because they just won game five on the road. Or, yeah, game five. Game five on the road. Fantastic. We got to break down that game as well. Didn't get to it yesterday. So we're going to kind of take a look at game five, Bucks 2-2. Tied series going into game five on the road, down 15 points in the first quarter. But that don't face this Bucks team, baby. They they know what it takes. They they know the grind. They know getting down 0-2. They know getting down 0-1. They are never they are never out of it, folks. They are never out of the game. They always just stick to the game plan, which is just playing a full four-quarter NBA game. And they come up with some big wins. Game 7 against the Nets and Game 5 on the road against the Suns. So a huge win by the Bucks team. We'll uh, break it down, watch a couple of plays, and break down the stats and all that. Um, and we also hit our moneymaker on that. We finally, cho- we finally chose right. Finally, thank goodness. We had the Bucks plus 4.5 and, and, or 3.5 and, and they went out right. No big deal. So congratulations to us and we're going to be looking to hit again Game 6 where I believe the Bucks close out. <laughs> So we'll talk about that game a little bit. And then we'll also watch the NFC Championship game, Packers-Falcons 2016. Aaron Rodgers kind of got blown out that game. So we just gave him his highest score of the playoffs, 97 out of 100 credit points against the divisional round against the Cowboys. Absolutely magnificent performance by Aaron Rodgers. But we may have to kind of knock him again in this game because they get blown out like 41 to 22. Real, real not great. So we'll watch that game as well and give Aaron Rodgers credit points for his performance. But let's just jump right into it with the stories of the day. And the first one up, baby, we got NFL training camp starting this week, folks. Woo! It's starting to be back, baby. Obviously, next week is when the majority of um, the team start, the 28th, next Wednesday. But the Cowboys, Steelers, and Buccaneers all open training camps this week because of some certain circumstances, whether it's um, basically just them having the early preseason game the hall of fame game so let's uh see when these camps all start and when we can start really kind of breaking it down and seeing what these uh, teams are made of and what these players can actually do and are these teams actually set up for success um like they've all been saying after otas so let's see what we get here the Dallas Cowboys, Pittsburgh Steelers, and the, T- and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers all open camps within the next seven days, folks. The Cowboys are the first to report on Wednesday, July 21st, baby. Wednesday, July 21st. So, potentially, the finals end on this Tuesday, and then we go right into football. I mean, did the stars align just on that? Jeez. Or we could have some overlap. I don't think game seven would be until, like, a Friday or a Saturday, and then we got football and basketball to talk about, so fantastic so the Cowboys are going to be the first ones to report on July 21st they have hard knocks going on 
Uh, the Steelers are opening on Thursday, July 22nd, and the Bucks conduct their first practice on Saturday, July 25th. So three big teams to kind of look for. Uh, this season, all getting a little early kind of a start at it because here we go. The Cowboys and the Steelers are slated to play in the Hall of Fame game on Thursday, August 5th. So that's why they get kind of, you know, early access to the training camp because they have to play about a week earlier than all the other teams do for that preseason game. Uh, the Cowboys will be featured on Hard Knocks this season. So once again, we can start kind of getting that film for that first episode. Can't wait for that. And the Super Bowl champion Bucks, who will reportedly visit the White House this week, open the season on Thursday, September 9th against the Cowboys. So once again, why the kind of Bucks get a little bit of a couple extra days is because they're going to be the first game, that Thursday night game. So the other 29 NFL clubs are scheduled to open their training camp on July 27th. Oh, I thought it was the 28th. Look at that. Even better. Next Tuesday, a day. Uh, we have an extra day. Or, no, we lost today. <laughs> but, hey, you know, we got uh, 29 teams on the 27th. That day is going to be absolutely filled with madness, folks. Cannot wait for it. So, uh, what I want to do is kind of just get all of our training camp narratives written down so we have them on the record. So, we're going to start with the Cowboys, Steelers, and Bucks. Talk through what narratives we just want to see clear up before the regular season starts. Uh, before we start truly, fully buying into all these teams, we've been talking about these teams kind of just based on what we saw from last season and what we've seen in the offseason already. But now, when we're getting new information out, these training camps, this is where the teams are make it or break it. This is it. Get your work in, get your training in, because after this kind of, you know, month of training camp, we're going right into the NFL season. No more time to kind of, you know, get ready. No more time to make adjustments. It's right now. Let's go for game number one, which starts on September 9th. So, uh, we will end up doing probably all 32 teams, but let's just start with these three since they all start this week, and we can kind of do the other ones a little bit later in the week and going into next week. So, the first or the three teams up that are starting this week in training camp are the Bucks, Cowboys, and the Steelers. So, let's start with the Bucks first, our 2021 NFL training camp narratives to watch for. What do we have to watch when it comes to the Bucks? Just really Tom Brady. <laughs> is Tom Brady good to go this season? He's coming off that injury last season. He's coming off of surgery in this postseason. Everybody's saying that, hey, he's going to look even better than he did last season. And last season was real solid for the man. Obviously, he won a Super Bowl. A little bit too many turnovers. Let's get up his official stats. What was Tom Brady looking like just statistically last year? He said, he, or well, he didn't say he had the torn MCL. That was kind of, you know, a narrative that we just kind of found out about a couple days ago when we talked about it on the show that, you know, everyone's saying that Tom Brady had a torn MCL the entire time throughout the entire season. Tom Brady never really said anything about that. He just said it was a knee injury. So we're not really sure how much of an extent that knee injury was truly affecting him last season, but we can expect him to be a little bit better because you have surgery. So you would think he would feel a little bit better after that. But last season, Tom Brady, 65% completion percentage, 40. Oh, my goodness. The man threw 4,600 yards his first time on a new team, folks. 
Jeez Louise, that's absolutely perfection. 40 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. I mean, folks, this is this is what GOATs do, folks. This is where we judge all of our good quarterback stats on, folks. You look at any Aaron Rodgers season, you look at any Tom uh, Tom Brady season, you look at any Drew Brees season, that's where we get our data of what are great winning quarterbacks in this league. That's where we hold everybody up to. These three combined stats and what they do in a, in a year, we take all those stats and and that's where we get our 62 to 65 completion percentage, 4,000 plus yards, and at least two to one touchdown and interception ratio. But really, you should be looking at three to one. You should be wanting to achieve three to one. And Tom Brady checking every single one of those boxes. So that's all we have to watch out for. We have to watch out for watching out of how Tom Brady is going to play, how great this man's going to play. And that's really it. We know they're returning all 22 starters. So that's really it. We got to watch Tom Brady. Got to keep an eye on how Tom Brady looks after the surgery. And I want to kind of see the defense be a little, a little, a little bit newer. Not just focusing on everything they were going to do that, that they were doing last season. You got to switch up your defense or teams that had the entire offseason to prep for you and watch the tape and see what you were doing. They're going to destroy you in the regular season. So this is what we got to watch for how Tom Brady looks after surgery and um, how do I want to say it? And um, kind of spicing up the offense and defense not being the same. So those are two kind of narratives to watch out for as training camp progresses, as we start kind of seeing, you know, um, uh, Preseason game one, preseason game two, preseason game three, leading up to that week one matchup on Thursday Night Football against the Cowboys should be real good. So how's Tom Brady looking? And can they kind of spice up their offense and defense, not just kind of running the same thing that they ran last year? Obviously, there's not too much to watch out for on this Bucks team just because they won last year. They're already kind of, you know, great. They're bringing everybody back. Bruce Arians is still there. Tom Brady. Let's kind of see if Father Time catches up with Tom Brady as well. Kind of, you know, another kind of Tom Brady narrative. Is it going to be a sudden drop-off or does this man never drop off? He's the outlier when we talk about father time in the NFL and longevity in the league and never being injured and never or never really kind of a letting an injury affect him being out there on the field or his level of play. So we'll see what Tom Brady does this year, folks, but I'm sure it's going to be absolutely magnificent. Alrighty, the Cowboys. Ooh, ooh, a lot to look out for, and I'm so glad they are on hard knocks. It's going to be fantastic. The first thing off the rip that we need to kind of watch for for this Cowboys team is what can Mike McCarthy do? We get a behind the si behind the scenes look at Mike McCarthy through hard knocks. Hopefully they don't cut out all the embarrassing things because I'm sure he's going to be in his office getting massages, folks. I'll never let that down. I I kind of judge my overall critique of Mike McCarthy on him, on that kind of little nugget of information being true, that the Packers players were saying that this man was up in his office getting massages a lot of the time when the team was down on the field practicing. So we'll see what Mike McCarthy, can Mike McCarthy impress us? 
That's our first narrative. Mike McCarthy, big question marks. Can the man coach? Is this man a good coach, or does he just kind of get pulled along by great quarterbacks, a la Aaron Rodgers? Because last season, Mike McCarthy didn't have a good quarterback at the helm because Dak Prescott goes down and just the overall Cowboys flounder. Now, the offense was still decent. It was really the defense that was truly letting them down. But still, at the end of the day, you're the head coach. You have to take care of everything. It all falls on your shoulders, offense and defense, winning and losses. It all falls on the head coach not getting the players right to play, and that's kind of goes back to him getting the massages. Hey, if that defense was being trashed week in and week out, what are you doing to fix it? Why are we not fixing this problem? Why are you not just trying to do everything in your power to kind of make switches, make changes to have this defense look at least something like a decent defense in the league? So Mike McCarthy is going to be a huge narrative to watch for the also the other one is Dan Quinn the defensive coordinator can this man coach defense because we've only seen him have two good defensive years the Legion of Boom days when he was a defensive coordinator there, when he had an abundance of talent for that Seahawks defense, that's when he had a good season. And then the first year in Atlanta, his defense was real solid as well. But after that, just trash. So Dan Quinn has only been a good good defensive coach when he's had a lot of talent or year one when nobody knew what, nobody was kind of knowing what they were truly doing on defense until the next season when they were able to watch that entire year's worth of tape and then they were able to figure it out and then Dan Quinn flounders for the rest of his career so this is it make it or break it this Cowboys team really doesn't have any great weapons and this is a year one for him being a defensive coordinator for this Cowboys team so they should be at least a little uh, at least a little decent but it still can Dan Quinn coach as well so our first two narratives to watch for on this Cowboys team are their coaching staff. Can these people coach, folks? Or are they just getting dragged along by great talent? So that's something to watch for for the Cowboys. Another thing I want to watch for is can Zeke be a top five running back this year? He was absolutely awful last season. How could you not carry that team? Mike McCarthy and Zeke letting us down big, big, big time when you don't have your number one weapon on the field in your quarterback of Dak Prescott. So the running game didn't take advantage and say, hey, let me put the team on my back. Ezekiel Elliott, I mean, he gets talked about like a top five running back. He thinks of himself as a top one running back in this league. So the fact that he didn't go out and seize that opportunity, it left a little bit of a bad taste in her mouth. Anybody could be good when your team's loaded with talent. We want to see what you do when the talent's not all there. Or the talent's hurt and you have to step up. You want to be the leader. You got paid first. Dak didn't get paid. Dak only got paid because Jerry Jones kind of had to because he got injured and you would look like a little bit of a scumbag if you didn't pay him after he sacrificed his body to make your team profits, to make your business profits. So Jerry Jones did the right thing. We're not knocking Jerry Jones, but he it was kind of a little forced in it, uh, forced into doing it, where he where he paid Zeke before Dak. So he got the big bucks, and he still didn't step up. Can Zeke return to? Because I mean, he had a real great, I think, rookie season. I think he's kind of fallen off ever since then. But let's get up his uh, official stats here. Here we go. <clears throat> 979 yards last season, folks. His lowest ever. How is it it's your lowest rushing season ever when it should have been your highest production season ever? Because you've got Andy Dalton at the helm. 
the hell is going on with that? Is it the offensive play calling of Mike McCarthy or was Zeke just not doing it? So once again, going back to is Mike McCarthy head coach? Because why were you not rushing the ball 400 times every single game? You should have been leaning on this man. But Mike McCarthy didn't do that. Or Zeke Elliott didn't do it in just the production. He only had 244 rushes. And that was his second lowest, 242. So he wasn't even getting his highest rushes. His highest rushing season was his rookie year at 322. Why didn't you run him for an extra 100 rushes? That falls a little bit on Mike McCarthy, the offensive play caller over there. Get it going. Get it together. So Ezekiel Elliott, obviously his best season, his rookie season, 1,600 yards. Love seeing that. He had 300 yards receiving as well that season for a grand total. Did he break? Oh, just under 2,000 yards at 1,994. And that came his second best season in 2018 at 1,400 yards. And then he had 500 yards on top of that for a grand total of 2,000 yards. So that's what we're talking about. If we can get Ezekiel Elliott back to that 2018 season of just score, how many touchdowns did he have? He had nine touchdowns in total, rushing and passing. But that 2,000 yard mark, that's what we want to say. That's what we want to see. Can Ezekiel Elliott get back to the, that day, 2018, that year, even his rookie year, right at 1,994 yards? right under that 2,000 mark, that's where we want to see you, um, obviously over it. So can Ezekiel Elliott be a top five running back here? Really, I mean, with 2,000 yards in total, that's kind of a top three running back. So can Zeke get back to prime form? And that's really it. That's the three big narratives that I'm going to be kind of watching out for because that's really going to tell us, is this Cowboys team ready to make the push of trying to fight for this division lead, this division win? Because we do know it's going to be a little, we think it's going to be a lot harder than the Cowboys think it is for them to win the NFC East because we absolutely love this uh, Giants team and we're big fans of what this Washington defense and coaching staff can do. The offensive side of the ball is a little iffy, um, you know, not the greatest wide receivers out there. Um, solid wide We'll call them solid. It's nothing to kind of get excited about. Um, you know, Terry McLaurin, real, real good. But that's really it. And then Ryan Fitzpatrick. We know we say it all the time. He's a, he's a 500 quarterback. That is it. You can't really expect to go more than 500 here this year. And when we're in a kind of a uh, no going 500 500 season because of 17 games is an odd number. You can't go 8-8. Eight and eight. You have to either go 9-8 and eight or 8-9. Eight and nine. You're either going to have a winning season or a losing season, and that's where, you know, Fitzpatrick's going to come in. Is he going to be at, you know, 55% win percentage, or is he going to be at, like, 45% win percentage? Is he either going to be those two? Can't really see this Washington team winning that many games under Ryan Fitzpatrick. So, we'll see what this Cowboys team can do, but we're fo focusing on Mike McCarthy. Can he coach? Dan Quinn, can he coach? And can Zeke get back to prime form? We're not worried about Dak. I'm truly not even worried about Dak. Dak's the least of my worries on this Cowboys team. It's everybody else but Dak. I believe in Dak. I think this man can get right back to form after that gruesome injury. It's still not phasing me for this Cowboys team overall. It's everybody else but Dak. I believe Dak, Dak can get it done. All right, now the last team that starts this week is the Pittsburgh Steelers. And y'all already know, baby. Y'all already know what we're going to be watching for. Najee Harris. That's it. I just want to watch Najee Harris. Honestly, I kind of wish the Steelers were on Hard Knocks just so I could watch Najee Harris. That is it. That's it. So that's our big narrative to watch for. Najee Harris, the real deal? We think he is. 
is Najee Harris the real deal? Because we absolutely loved him out of college. We thought he was great rushing the ball. He's also very solid at catching the ball. He's not like a true dual threat running back as a Christian McCaffrey or an Alvin Kamara, but he's still real solid. He can get you two to 400 yards receiving while potentially, I believe, getting 14 to 16 yards rushing. So I believe Najee Harris could honestly be a 2,000-yard back next season. This season, year one, rookie year. I've got no problem with that. Another thing that kind of ties in with Najee Harris is the offensive line. Can that hold up? Because we've just kind of been, you know, talking about the last couple weeks on the show that the Steelers have like four new offensive linemen this season. So can they get kind of caught up to the system? Can they get caught up, you know, playing under Big Ben and, you know, Mike Tomlin and having an elite rusher behind them uh, to, you know, make it or break it? Because like we said, you know, Big Ben's arm could, could potentially not hold up this season, so they were really going to have to rely on the running game heavy throughout early on in the season. So Najee Harris, is he the real deal? That's our first narrative. And can the O-line hold? That's our second big narrative. Because you can't be a great running back without a great line. You could be a good running back without a great line, but you're not going to do what Derrick Henry does. You're not going to get 2,000 yards rushing. You might be able to get 2,000 yards rushing and receiving, but it's not going to be 2,000 pure rushing yards if you don't have a good line. And like we said, with these four new offensive linemen for the Steelers, that could potentially hurt Najee Harris's rookie year. We hope it doesn't because we think Najee Harris could be right underneath Derrick Henry for the best rushing for the best running backs in the NFL right now. Um, And then the other narrative that we have to to watch out for is Big Ben looking solid because we looked at his stats the other day, folks. Very not good. Let me type this out. Is Is Big Ben looking like prime Ben? Because we saw him only throw for, what was it, 34 or 3,600 yards? The hell is that? The hell is 34, 3,600 yards, folks? It's absolutely trash. 3,800. A little better, but still worse. We need 4,000. I want to see 4,000 yards out of you if you declare yourself, if you are talked about as a highly regarded quarterback in this league. I must see 4,000 yards. And Big Ben only put up 3,800. That's it. I got to see 4,000. Touchdown interceptions was solid. 33 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. That's 3-1. to one. We absolutely love that. Completion percentage was on par, 65%. That's what we love. We just need to see the yards through the air there, and we saw that decline as the season progressed. Let's, watch, or let's take a look at these game logs here in 2020 just to kind of see when his bad games were kind of looking like. Were they truly at the end of the season? Let's take a quick look. Here we go. All righty. Here we go. First eight games of the season, 229 yards, 311 yards, 237, 239. He had a 162, 268, 182. That was the first eight games of the season, folks. 306. And then the back eight. They weren't they honestly weren't even that bad. Here we go. Wow. These are actually better than I thought they were going to be. Here we go. Week nine. Game nine. Week 10. 
333 yards, 267 yards, 266, 305, 187, 170, 341. So he had 200-yard gains, games, but he also had two 100-yard games in the first half of the season as well. So let's just see if Big Ben can be consistent throughout the entire season and not dropping a little you know, under 200-yard games here and there. Interceptions really kind of ticked up at the back half of the season. Once again, not putting the ball in the right spots. The arm kind of floundering a little bit. He was still getting the yards, which is great. But these interceptions, folks, the last eight games, we got a one game, one, one, one interception game, one interception game, one interception game, two interception game, and a one interception game. That's one, two, three, four, five, six. That's six out of the ten coming in the final one, two, three, four, five, six games of the regular season. So we got to see Big Ben just being a, a really a turnover-free passing machine in, in, the, in this year. So, can Big Ben get to prime Big Ben? No more 3,000-yard seasons. Let's get up to a 4,000. He's thrown for 5,000 yards before in his career. Make sure that's right. Yes, he's got 5,100 in 2018. So, I want to see that. That's the Big Ben I want to see because it's the last season. Go out on top like Peyton Manning. We'll see if Big Ben can do it. So, that's kind of our three big narratives to watch out for the Steelers. Is Najee Harris as good as we think he is? Because we, we're highly regarding this man super highly, folks. Very, very highly. We're big on this man. We're big, big, big on this man. So, is Najee Harris the real deal? Can the O-line hold? Four new offensive linemen out there. And can Big Ben look like prime Big Ben not falling off, not the arm slowing down, not throwing picks at the end of the season, getting it done consistently throughout and into the playoffs and into the Super Bowl and at the Super Bowl and going on a top, riding out into the sunset like Peyton Manning did. Um, Alrighty, that's really it, folks. That's our narratives to watch for for the Bucks, Cowboys, and the Steelers. Coaches... Running backs, quarterbacks, I see what they can do for these three teams starting training camp this week. Alrighty, let's keep moving on here. And as kind of training camp gets into the swing of it, more of these free agents are going to be signed. And a free agent that we can talk about right now is Adrian Peterson. He hopes to play his 15th season. Quote, my body feels strong. I still feel young. I still feel good. I'm ready to play ball. So this man's a free agent. Doesn't have a home yet. And this is going to be the perfect opportunity for Adrian Peterson to get back on a team once training camp gets into a full swing. And coaches are like, yeah, I mean, we need either a second piece. We need kind of a veteran in here to kind of, you know, spice it up a little bit, make these young guys get a little bit more competitive, or maybe even compete right off the rip for a starting job. Maybe Adrian Peterson can be the starting quarterback on a, or starting running back on a team, folks. Let's see what he did last season. Can this man still get it done? What did he do last year? What, he, what has he really done in the last two seasons? So here we go. Adrian Peterson last season with Detroit. This is a bad Detroit team, folks. He had 604 yards and seven rushing touchdowns. And, you know, he's never been the best catcher out of the backfield, only 100 yards receiving as well. So, you know, 604 yards rushing, that's nothing great. That's not an A1 tier one running back in this league, but a solid tier two. I can get behind my, you know, second running back putting up six plus hundred yards. I've got no problem with that. And then two years ago with Washington, 898 yards. And the last time he rushed for 1,000 yards was in 2018 with Washington as well. So, I mean, he's still proven that he can be this 1,000-yard rusher here in this league. And if he's, if he's saying he's feeling good, he's feeling fresh, he's feeling healthy, 
I say, you know, some teams could potentially give this man an opportunity. All right, let's go into this article and let's see how Peterson is kind of feeling about himself in a situation that he's in right now. So as the NFL world prepares to open training camps within the next eight days, many unsigned veterans hope to land gigs that provide a path to continuing their careers. Future Hall of Fame running back Adrian Peterson is one of those still without a home. Peterson hopes to play a 15th NFL season as he pecks away at the top of the all-time rushing leaderboard. The 36-year-old said last week that he still feels capable of contributing to a contender. Okay, so we also know, you know, a lot of these kind of older veteran free agents, they want to be on a contending team. They're done playing with the trash organizations. They don't have that many seasons left. They don't have that much time left to win a ring or win games or be competitive at the highest level. So, you know, being in Detroit's not really an option for Adrian Peterson. Not being in, you know, Washington's really not an option for Adrian Peterson either. He's paid his dues the last three years of kind of being on real not great teams overall. And now he wants to go on a contender and compete for a chip. And he still thinks he can do so. So quote, the training is going well and I'm going to control the things that I can control right now. And when that time comes, somebody will give me a call. That's all I'm asking for. My body feels good. I came out healthy from last season. My body feels strong. I still feel young. I still feel good. I'm ready to play ball. So why not give the 36-year-old, you know, great veteran running back a chance? Obviously, we all know Adrian Peterson. He almost broke the rushing yard, the the single-season rushing record with 2,096. What did he have? Uh, came just short of it, and he put up 297 yards, um, a little closer than what Derrick Henry got. So once again, y'all know we're big on, you know, I want to see somebody break this single-season rushing record. Adrian Peterson very close a couple years ago, and Derrick Henry very, very close last season. All right, anything else here? Peterson has long-eyed Emmett Smith's rushing record at 14,820 rushing yards. He sits 450 yards away from pass, passing Barry Sanders, 15,269 for fourth all-time. Gore, 16,000 yards. Walter Payton, 16,726 yards. And Emmett Smith, 18,355 yards. Make up the top three. Jeez Louise, nobody's catching Emmett Smith at 18,000. Woof, maybe Derrick Henry can. Uh, he's still got plenty of time in the in the league. If he does find a job at some point in the coming weeks, Peterson hopes it's with a club that could give him a chance at finally earning a Super Bowl ring. Quote, yeah, I've been chasing it for a long time. It would be really nice to finally get one. All right, let's quickly go through the NFL teams to kind of see which ones can compete for a ring, but also need kind of a solid running back, a solid tier two running back for them. So the Seattle Seahawks, obviously we like Chris Carson. Adrian Peterson, Adrian Peterson can just be that great number two and provide that leadership that the Seahawks team would need. I mean, could you imagine having Russell Wilson and Adrian Peterson all in the kind of the same huddle? All that veteran presence? Ooh, boy. Yes, sir. Put him on the Seahawks. I would love it. The Rams, absolutely. Um, Cam Akers is real solid, but then Adrian Peterson in number two, and we know the Rams are kind of Super Bowl contenders this season. Absolutely love it there. The Arizona Cardinals, potential there. Um, they do have, who they pick up? Uh, Kenyon Drake? Is that what they got? Cardinals depth chart. Let's bring that up quickly. I don't think they've got too deep. Who have they got? 
uh, Chase Edmonds and James Conner. So Chase Edmonds, solid number one. Maybe Adrian Peterson can even beat this man out for the number one spot, honestly. And then James Conner, Adrian Peterson never has to worry about James Conner being a threat to him in getting any carries in the backfield. No way. So uh, solid kind of landing spot him for him for the Cardinals. What, did he play for the Cardinals first season? He did. He played for six games there. Uh, 448 yards in 2017, and then he went to the uh, to the Saints for the rest of the season. But, um, yeah, potentially there with the Cardinals. They're just not the best Super Bowl contenders, so probably doesn't end up there. But he could be the starter. If he wants to be the starter while trying to compete for a ring, the Cardinals could definitely be that position. And then Adrian Peterson tamed up back with Larry Fitzgerald, both potentially getting their first ring. We are big on that as well. Could you imagine DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green, Kyler Murray, Larry Fitzgerald, and um, Adrian Peterson all getting their first rings, first rings and J.J. Watt all getting their first rings on a team together? Now, that's what I want to see. Teamwork makes the dream work, baby. And they all got big dreams of getting rings. So, the Cardinals' potential there. The 49ers, they got Raheem Mostart really kind of focusing on him. Um, I don't know if they would really kind of want a tier two back for that team. And, you know, with uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and the quarterback situation up in the air, I don't know if, uh, you know, Adrian Peterson is going to want to go to a little bit. It's a tiny bit dysfunctional just in, you know, the overall quarterback room there just because you don't know who they're going to go with you don't know if Jimmy G can stay healthy and you don't know if Trey Lance can actually play in the NFL so out of the NFC West it's really either the Seahawks or the Rams I think that's the best kind of two choices there all right then we go to the Saints once again it's like they've got these new quarterbacks and we don't know if they're going to be able to be back to Super Bowl contenders like they were with Drew Brees they do have Alvin Kamara and there's really not that much opportunities to get the ball since he does it all rushing and catching the ball the Tampa Bay Bucks, yeah, why not? They could always use some more extra talent. They've got no problem. They've got no problem, um, you know, bringing in everybody. They brought in Leonard Fournette. They got AB. So they've got no problem bringing in the big names that don't have a ring. They still have Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones. So, you know, Adrian Peterson wouldn't be the tier one or the tier two back here of Tampa Bay, but he could be a solid kind of third option. We've got no problem with that. Would he have a problem with that? Definitely the Tampa Bay Bucks are Super Bowl contenders. All right, the Panthers, they got Christian McCaffrey. Really no room, once again, like the Saints, really no room for Adrian Peterson to get it done. The Atlanta Falcons, this is an interesting one because they have no running game at all. We don't like anybody on their running game at all. We don't like Meg Davis, and we don't really like the Cordell Patterson that much. They're kind of border. They're honestly, I don't want to disrespect them like this, but they're borderline Tier 3 running backs that maybe play up to Tier 2 at some points in their career. But uh, the Falcons could be a real good spot for this man to, you know, reassert himself as, you know, a running back one in this league. Just unfortunately, I don't know if this Falcons team is Super Bowl contenders, a new head coach. Matt Ryan's never really been able to kind of prove to get it done in the big games, late in big game scenarios to finishing off wins. So it's a little interesting there. The Washington football team can definitely just kind of be the main man there. But once again, not really Super Bowl contenders. The Giants have Saquon Barkley. The Cowboys have Zeke. And the Eagles have not a Super Bowl contending team. So um, not really going anywhere in the NFC East, I don't think. 
the Green Bay Packers. You got Aaron Jones. If you want to sit behind Aaron Jones and just kind of, you know, do your thing as the running back too, that'd be solid. The Packers, once again, potentially uh, Super Bowl contenders as well. We do believe that Aaron Rodgers is going to play this year. We are kind of basing all of our information on all of our kind of, you know, narratives and theories and just where we place teams and players, we are kind of going along with that Aaron Rodgers will show up for the Packers this year. We do believe he will play. So that's obviously Super Bowl contenders there. The Chicago Bears, what do they got at running back? I don't think they got anything. Uh, potentially, potential, I mean, this is, you know, very low odds, but I would still say Super Bowl contenders as long as Justin Fields plays solid. I would say they could potentially come out of the NFC. Uh, but then you got David Montgomery and Tyree Cohen. Obviously, he can you know be the main guy here in Chicago. It's just whether this man thinks, Adrian Peterson thinks that this Bears team is a potential Super Bowl contending team, potentially. Um like I said, I, you know, when I'm listing when I'm listing kind of Super Bowl contenders, the Bears would definitely be, you know, very bottom of that list, but I think they could pull something. Uh, the Vikings have Delvin Cook. Um, once again, don't think this team is Super Bowl contenders under Kirk Cousins and the Detroit Lions. He just came from there. You're not going back. The Tennessee Titans. Hey, just back up Derrick Henry. Just back up Derrick Henry. That's it. That's all you got to do. And you could potentially be Super Bowl contenders. Definitely there. The Colts. I would say to go to the Colts because we do have them winning the Super Bowl. It's just they've already got three deep. Do we need four deep running backs on a team? I don't think they're calling the man, unfortunately. The Houston Texans steer clear of their trash team. Same thing with the Jags. Steer clear of that team. They are trash. All right, the Buffalo Bills. Oh, that's the spot right there. That is the spot right there. Please. Oh, I think this is going to happen, folks. Adrian Peterson to the Bills. I think that's the perfect fit for this man. That's what Adrian Peters likes. Adrian Peterson kind of likes, kind of just, you know, running through the trenches. We know Buffalo Bills, a blue-collar town, a blue-collar team. You've got Josh Allen. Their passing game is absolutely fantastic. You don't have to worry about that. Super Bowl contender. They were just in the AFC Championship game last season. And then you just have to beat out Devin Singletary? <laughs> okay, easy. Easy, I'll do that. And then, you know, if they still rock with Devin Singletary, Adrian Peterson could be a great second option at running back. The build, this is the perfect fit for the man. That's where he goes. That's the best fit that we've seen so far. The Buffalo Bills. Go, go there. He's going to get signed there, folks. I'd put money on that. I would put money on that. I love that so much, folks. Super Bowl contender, potentially also starting as running back one there. What more does he want? That's what he wants, no? The Dolphins, I mean, this is kind of the same thing. Like the Bills, definitely need a running back. No great running back in Miles Gaskin. He's, he's, he's at, at bottom 25 running back in the league. Um, The Dolphins, are we Super Bowl contenders right yet? I wouldn't say Super Bowl contenders. I would say, you know, medium playoff run contenders. Don't know about Super Bowl just quite yet. Uh, the Patriots, once again, they've got no great running back either. So he could go there. But are they Super Bowl contenders? I don't know with Cam Newton. I can't get it. Um, and then the Jets, uh, they're not Super Bowl contenders. You know, we do believe a little bit of Robert Sala, but that's not the fit. 
Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. That could be an interesting fit for Adrian Peterson as well, just to back up Najee Harris. And oh my God, I would love for Najee Harris to learn from Adrian Peterson. Yes, sir. I mean, that's if you have to learn from any running back in the league that's still here, you learn from Adrian Peterson. And you know, the Steelers can be the Super Bowl champions. And you know, having Big Ben and Adrian Peterson all on the same team, I mean, they both know it's kind of do or die. They know they have to get it done now because they really don't know if they have another season in them so you know go to the Steelers and get it done I think that's a great fit as well the Ravens I just don't know if he's going to fit the overall scheme of the team they already have two solid running backs and I don't really think they need Adrian Peterson I don't think they're calling the Browns they've already got two great ones or you know Adrian Peterson would get no burn as you know running back three for this team the Bengals are not Super Bowl contenders. The Chiefs, this is an interesting one because they only have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for the running back, which is still a good running back. We're not knocking Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, but, um, you know, how much burn is he going to get? He can definitely beat out Daryl Wilson as, you know, or Daryl Williamson, at, or Daryl Williams, geez, missed, missed the name three times. Uh, but he could definitely beat this man out as running back two here, no problem. And then he could potentially get a ring with the Chiefs because we know it's the Chiefs. you got to respect it. The Raiders, they've already got kind of two solid ones. Josh Jacobs, and they bring in, they got Kenyon Drake. That's who we're talking about. Yep. Um, so Kenyon Drake there as well. Not really going to get too much burn. The Chargers, they've got Melvin uh, Gordon, which we don't like. Um, he could, I think he could beat Melvin Gordon out for the starting job. And the Chargers don't have a really a kind of a running back too. So potentially going to play with the Chargers. Uh, they're not really Super Bowl contenders. Really just kind of, you know, early playoff contenders. But, you know, we, we believe in Justin Herbert. Maybe he can really truly put it on year two and just get it done. And then the Broncos here. Or no, the Chargers don't have Melvin Gordon. Who do the Chargers have? I was thinking about the Broncos. Um, let's bring up the Chargers depth chart really quickly. Oh, they got Austin Eckler, who we are kind of fans of. We do believe that man can get it done. Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson. What did Justin Jackson do last season? 270. So, yeah, he could definitely be running back two out there. And then for the Broncos, the last team to go over, um, they got Melvin Gordon. He could definitely be the number two here in Denver. Um, and like we said, is this Denver team Super Bowl contenders? Not really. So I think that truly the best fits for Adrian Peterson are the Bills or the Steelers or the Rams or the Seahawks. Um, if I'm ordering them, Bills 1, Steelers 2, Seahawks 3, Rams 4. If Adrian Peterson truly wants to compete for a ring and feels like he's good enough to kind of be the A1 tier one on a team, go get it done, Adrian Peterson. We believe in you. All right, before we uh, move off of this topic, let's keep talking about free agents for a little bit here. Uh, around the NFL tweets out the best landing spots for veteran free agents. So let's kind of see what they're saying on some of these top free agents. Let's kind of remind you guys what some of these free agents are out here that are still eligible. Um, I want to kind of talk about this as well. So this uh, website, NFL TradeRumors.com, they posted their top 100 available 2021 NFL free agents, and they have number one being Steven Nelson, a cornerback, and I don't know if I really agree with this. I don't even know what this man can really do as a corner. We kind of look at his stats from last season, just nothing great. It's, it's solid stats, two interceptions, nine pass defenses, a fumble recovery, no sacks, not coming off the edge on a cornerback, you know, blitz and hitting the quarterback. 
couple of tackles to help him out. But uh, y'all know how we judge cornerbacks here. We got his name up on the playerprofile.com so we can see what he was doing, how many yards he was giving up against the A1 Tier 1 wide receivers in this league. That's what we care about when we look at cornerbacks. Are you shutting down the best receivers in the game? DK Metcalf, Tyreek Hill, DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, are you locking them all up? So just kind of want to quickly take a look at Steven Nelson here because they have him ranked as the top free agent. Above Melvin Ingram, the edge rusher. Above Richard Sherman. Above Rick Wagner. Above KJ Wright, the linebacker. Above Le'Veon Bell. Above Olivier Vernon. Another great edge rusher. Above Geno Atkins. Above Todd Gurley. Above Emer Everson Griffin. Another edge rusher. Above Kenny Stills. Above Nikhil Roby Coleman. Another cornerback. Above Golden Tate, wide receiver. Above Larry Fitzgerald. Above Danny Amendola. Above Alshon Jeffrey. Above Josh Gordon. Above Tyler Eifer. Above Prince of Mukamara, another good solid corner. Above Josh Norman, another solid solid. He kind of got bitched by uh, Derrick Henry. A little hard to uh, live that down. Cornerback. Above Vic Beasley, another edge rusher. So y'all know what we're going with here. So let's see if Steven Nelson is shutting down the top tier wide receivers here. So let's quickly take a look at his 2020 game logs out here. Who is he facing? All right, week one against Darius Slayton, four catches for 76 yards allowed. Not the greatest there. Will Fuller, five catches on six targets for 48 yards. That's a real solid lockup right there. Against OBJ, OBJ, one of two targets for three yards. A.J. Brown, four of seven for 123 yards. That's a little bit of a burn there. Against Amari Cooper, three of three for 50 yards. That's a pretty solid burn. A Against Marquise Brown of the Ravens, 6 of 9 for 95 yards. So the speed, too much for this man to handle. A.J. Green, 6 of 11 for 44 yards. That's a good lockup right there. D.J. Chark, 4 of 9 for 41 yards. Des Bryant, 0 of 2 for 0 yards. Locking up Des Bryant, but we know this old Des Bryant was really nothing great. I mean, that man could have easily been the wide receiver number one for that Ravens team last year, but just never got it done, unfortunate. All right, against Stephon Diggs, 7 of 14 for 86 yards and one pass defense. Not terrible overall. Uh, Michael Pittman of the Colts, 5 of 8 for 72 yards. So overall solid. This man's a solid cornerback. Didn't really face any of the great ones. His best wide receiver that he faced was Stephon Diggs, 50% catch percentage for 86 yards. Amari Cooper, 50 yards on 100% catch percentage, not the greatest. Michael Pittman, 5 of 8 for 72 yards. We do really highly regard Michael Pittman as well. So, Steven Nelson, not a bad corner, a solid number two corner. Definitely not going to be a cornerback number one on your team. So, if he does get picked up, you know, just uh, by a team that needs a second cornerback. And he'll be all right. Um, all right, so we still have, you know, big names out here. Melvin Ingram, Richard Sherman, but now with this whole, you know, um, you know, DUI and domestic violence things, it's going to be a little bit harder for him. But we still have, you know, some solid running backs. We got Le'Veon Bell. We got Adrian Peterson. Uh, some solid other, you know, edge rushers, Olivier Vernon. So there are real, there, there is a lot of great talent out here. It's older talent. All these, you know, players are about, you know, 28 to like 33. So that where, that's where kind of, you know, the pause comes in. 
season? Are they still going to be able to kind of, you know, be at their highest level as they start to age out of the league a little bit? So that's, you know, another reason why these players are not getting big contracts and a lot of teams are just kind of, you know, waiting, waiting, waiting until what they're truly getting in training camp before they go and kind of, you know, make that decision. All right, but let's go into this right here. Back to best landing spots for veteran free agents. Let's see what they are talking about here. So Melvin Ingram, a great pass rusher. They project him to, or they, you know, want him to go to the Chiefs. They say that is his best fit. Last season, Kansas City pressured opposing quarterbacks on just 23% of dropbacks. That was 23rd in the NFL. While some of that was due to, to strategic decision-making, it was still uncharacteristic of a Stieg Spagnolo defense and definitely not a high-probability method of stopping opposing passers. We know that works in the league, folks. You need to have an elite pass rush. We know this. We just saw that win the championship, and that was really the only way to stop the Chiefs. If you get after Patrick Mahomes, make him scramble, make him uncomfortable, make him escape the pocket, and not have all that time to throw to wide-open Tyreek Hill 80 yards down the field every single time, you got to pressure him. So the Chiefs could, you know, kind of, you know, um, use what every team uses against them to use against their opposing teams. That's fantastic. Um, all right, here we go. While Ingram has missed a dozen games over the past two seasons, likely the biggest cause of him still being a free agent, he didn't miss a single start from 2015 through 2018. One measurement I like to study with pass rushers is burst, which is the speed someone is able to reach in the first three yards traveled. Not first three yards forward, but total yards traveled. An NFL head coach asked me to clarify this, so it's a point well taken. Anyhow, in the games Ingram has played in over the past two seasons, his burst has ranked as high as fourth fastest among edge rushers, but it isn't but it hasn't been a consistent figure, which suggests the injuries have indeed been a factor. In Ingram's four, first four seasons, the consistency in his burst metric ranked in the top ten percent among edge rushers, and his fourth quarter drop off to approximate fatigue, was fifth lowest in the league. In other words, if Ingram is right, the potential of production is strong. All right, and then they say Mitchell Schwartz, an offensive tackle going to the Steelers. We know the Steelers team has four new offensive linemen. You definitely need to bring in a little bit more depth there just so you can kind of figure out the line. Um, that's going to be something, you know, one one of the narratives that we are looking for during the Steelers in their training camp is can their offensive line get it done and can Mike Tomlin, you know, make the perfect fit? All right, you know, him on the left side, let's move him to right tackle. Let's move the right guard over to left guard just so it works overall with the group that we have. So bringing in some offensive lineman depth could definitely help out the Steelers a lot. Um, how many offensive linemen? A lot of offensive linemen are kind of, you know, top 10 here of the top 100 free agents still listed. We get Mitchell Schwartz, who we just said. He's kind of, they rank him number two overall of free agents, an offensive tackle. Then we have De David DeCastro, a guard. Uh, he's ranked number three. Then we got Russell Okun, another offensive tackle, ranked number fifth. Rick Wagner, offensive tackle, ranked number eight. So there's four linemen in the top 
10 of top 100 free agents still available. So we'll see if the Steelers kind of make a rush for that. Little, Let's see if they make a rush early for it. That kind of tells us that the Steelers are having troubles with their offensive line or if they just kind of do it at the end of training camp just as a little bit of an insurance policy. So that's why we're going to be tracking that Steelers offensive lineman narrative very bigly. Are they doing it right at the start of training camp? That kind of tells us, hey, this is not working right off the rip. We need to get more people in here. We need to try to figure out this adjustment. Or do they kind of do it after preseason game two, after preseason game three, when they have an extra roster spot and they just want a little bit more offensive lineman depth? That kind of tells us, hey, the offensive line is good. We just want the depth now. We just want a little bit of a wild card. Something happens. Gosh forbid, knock on wood, something happens. We have to replace them. We can't. So we'll see what the Steelers do. But, um, you know, um, NFL.com definitely thinks the Steelers should go for another lineman. Um, and then we got Justin Houston, another edge rusher. They predict him to go to the Atlanta Falcons. Let's see what they say on this one. I feel like many people don't realize that Houston has posted eight-plus sacks in each of the past four seasons. But not you and I. We know it. <laughs> that said, when it comes to pass rushing effectiveness, sacks aren't the end-all be-all. If I had to use one metric to judge pass rushers, I'd go with pressures. Didn't you just say that you you would go with burst speed? Now he's going with um, pressures? Okay. Um, and I've been working on two sub-metrics that I'm calling key pressures and assist pressures. Key pressures are the ones that, that are play drive ending, so sacks are included. Meanwhile, assist pressure, well, think about how Aaron Donald routinely gets triple teamed, creating more space for teammates uh, to generate pressure. So... We know the offensive side of the ball with the Falcons is real solid besides the running backs. We kind of wanted to see Le'Veon Bell. Uh, the Falcons signed Le'Veon Bell as a free agent. Uh, but they kind of say, hey, go get this edge rusher, finish up the defense a little bit, and you'll be solid. All right, then they say K.J. Wright should go back to Seattle. Just go there again, linebacker. Get it done. He says, yep, I think Wright would fit in best. Right where he's been, where he's always been in Seattle. PFF gave Wright a 78.7 coverage grade in 2020, ranking eighth best among linebackers. My computer vision tracking shows his effectiveness against the pass improved in 2020 over 2019 in two significant categories: total yards allowed when passes traveled within six feet of him, and first down slash touchdowns allowed on passing downs when the ball traveled within six feet of him. Both marks were about 10% better in 2020 than in 2019. This equated to about 10.5% fewer yards per play and 9.6% fewer extended drives touchdowns when he was near enough to cover. So this man is still getting better according to uh, whoever's writing this article. Let's point out his name, doing all the great work. Um, he doesn't put his name to it. Interesting. I'm guessing it's this girl, Cynthia Freeland, because she doesn't name her name, but just at the end of the article, it says, follow Cynthia Freeland on Twitter. So I'm assuming this is her. Um, but um, yeah, so they kind of have some, uh, some, some of these top uh, free agents. They only did what? Three of them? They said that they, or four of them, they said they didn't do Richard Sherman just because of the uh, the ongoing lawsuits against them. That's why they pulled them out. But, uh, you know, a team that needs a solid corner. Let's see what Richard Sherman did last season. Was he locking up? Can we buy Richard Sherman? Or do we take Steven Nelson over Richard Sherman when, uh, you know, we have to just bring in a corner to shut it all down? 
So let's see what Richard Sherman was doing last season against the A1 Tier 1 corners. Here we go. Missed a lot of games. Missed uh, weeks 2 through 11, unfortunately. Week 1 against Christian Kirk, 3 of 5 for 22 yards. Robert Woods, 4 of 7 for 38 yards. A pick and a pass breakup. That's great. Against Stephon Diggs, he got absolutely killed. 10 of 12 for 137 yards. Against Cameron Sims, 2 of 4 for 21 yards. And against Amari Cooper, 3 of 6 for 20 yards. So this was actually a pretty solid season for Richard Sherman. Being kind of, you know, injured most of the season. Locking up the Tier 2 wide receivers absolutely perfectly. Now when it came to Stephon Diggs, absolutely burned Richard Sherman. We know Richard Sherman isn't the fastest kind of, you know, overall corner. And Stephon Diggs can beat you right off the line. So Richard Sherman could definitely be that kind of, you know, tier two corner that you need on a team and he locks up you know the tier twos decently out there so that's not a bad pickup Richard Sherman is still viable folks it's just you know that drunken disorderly wild video and uh, all the accounts that we've been hearing from him trying to break down his father-in-law's door not looking good that's the only that's the only mark that we have on him his stats of 2020 were real solid we love that besides Stefan Diggs that's unfortunate. So that's kind of where we are at the free agent mark. And uh, like we said, this is when, you know, free agents are going to start to get signed right at the start of training camp, midway training camp, end of training camp. The next two weeks should be real interesting to see what teams go after what. What do they feel like their team is missing to go all the way? And there's some real solid names out here, folks. Um, corners. Offensive linemen. Edge rushers, which are truly needed. Running backs. There's two solid running backs here, folks. Let's see if Todd Gurley even gets a second chance, a third chance, honestly. Didn't make it completely work with Atlanta last season. We really wished it was a little bit of a better season for Todd Gurley last year. But once again, you need kind of a tier three, just another added option. Todd Gurley could potentially be that. So Le'Veon Bell, Adrian Peterson, Todd Gurley. Let's see if they get signed. Larry Fitzgerald, Golden Tate, Danny Amendola, Kenny Stills. Some good wide receivers as well. Alshon Jeffrey. Some good ones. Tyler Eifert. Tyler Eifert. Y'all know we need this man back in tight end university, baby. Did Tyler Eifert get invited? I feel like Tyler Eifert did, and the man's a free agent. Let's bring up our favorite article right here. Every tight end invited to tight end university. Was Tyler Eifert on this list? Let's see. Going down, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry, Blake Bell, Kyle Rudolph. Logan Thomas, Dawson Knox, Dallas Goddard, Irv Smith, Tyler Higby, Chris Herndon, Austin Hooper, Keldon Smith, Mercedes Lewis, Hayden Hurst, CJ Uzuma, Colby Parkinson, Anthony Fersker, Chris Manhurts, Ross Dwellery, Dominique Daphne. Come on, where is this man? Come on, Tyler Eifert. Let's see. Did they not invite Tyler Eifert? Oh, no. No Tyler Eifert. No free agent. They said this man ain't got no home. You not having no home. You stay not having no home. So maybe stay away from Tyler Eifert. Uh, we're only getting big on tight ends that were a part of tight end university because, uh, you know, you learn all that great information from, these great, from the greatest tight ends to ever play the game. Um, so, yeah, maybe you got to stay away from Tyler Eifert. How old is this man? 30. Ugh, ugh, yikes. Um, so, a lot of good uh, free agents still available, folks. And we'll see as training camps begin who goes where.
Um, and as we were talking about Melvin Ingram and how, you know, him going to the Chiefs would be the best fit for him, according to uh, our girl, Cynthia Freyland. Well, Melvin Ingram's got a different idea because he just went and visited the Steelers today. So once again, this Steelers defense could get a little bit more better. They already have a real solid defense. Let's bring up uh, the Steelers depth chart really quickly. Love what they're doing with their defense. Obviously, you know, you got TJ Watt. You've got... Um, are we going... Oh, my gosh. All right, we're going to have to do this. Um, not on screen because our internet... Our, oh, no, no, no. We're back. We're back. Okay, we're back. I apologize. All right, here we go. They got Cameron Hayward, you know, a, a nice edge rusher. They got Stefan Tuitt. How much? How many sacks and pressures did he have last season? Come on. I don't got all day for these things to load. Come on. Come on. Might have to just do this one on the phone, off screen. Uh, as we say that, it always brings it up. See, the, see, the internet knows. We talk bad about it. They bring it right up. But, you know, Stephen Tua had 11 sacks last season. Fantastic. 22 or two, two forced fumbles. Could you imagine 22 forced fumbles? Uh, so, overall, the Steelers' defensive line is pretty solid. Just bringing in another edge rusher could definitely be great. You got uh, TJ Watt still. And in the backfield, uh, Cameron Certain, Terrell Edmonds, Minka Fitzpatrick, Joe Hayden. So real just solid overall. Devin Bush, linebacker as well. So the Steelers' defense is real solid. But, um, you know, Melvin Ingram also maybe potentially going there as well. Definitely just helping top off the Steelers' defense, which obviously, you know, you can always use, use edge rushers. Rotate them in, have them fresh, and we know that's what wins in this league. You need a good edge rusher. So let's see. What Melvin Gordon is saying here, um, let's see if we get any information in this article. All right, so here we go. Melvin Ingram's first real taste of free agency has lasted well into July, but he hasn't gone unnoticed. Ingram is making his latest free agent visit on Monday, taking a trip to Pittsburgh to meet with the Steelers before they open camp this week. Ingram, Ingram, who has also attracted interest from the Chiefs and Dolphins this offseason, would fill a mercenary-like need for the Steelers. Pittsburgh is still is looking to add another contributor on the edge following the free agent departure of Bud Dupree. While Ingram is still looking for employment after spending his not, entire nine seasons in the NFL with Southern Carolina with the Chargers, Ingram is one sack shy of 50 for his career. And if he'd get a chance to play opposite TJ Watt and can remain healthy, Ingram was limited to seven games last season due to a persistent knee issue. Not great. It's likely he'd reach that milestone while in black and gold. Well, we'll see if the two find a fit with each other this week. So uh, just kind of a name to look out for and we'll know more. We'll see if he leaves with the deal today and talk about that tomorrow. But uh, Melvin Ingram potentially going to the Steelers is just boasting that defense a little bit more. And, you know, that's what we would love to see. We want to see what the Steelers team can do. Alrighty, let's keep moving on here. Not a free agent, but not great. Every time we talk about Saquon Barkley, folks, it's not good. What the heck? So, Saquon Barkley on whether... On when he'll be able to practice, quote, I don't have the answer to that, to be honest. No, why? 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 Every time we've been talking about Saquon Barkley, it's like, are you going to be good for week one? We weren't really ever questioning his practicing. His practicing ability from the injury. We just saw the picture the other day of his mammoth leg. 
We loved it. We thought he was going to be good to go. But now he's telling us he doesn't even know when he's going to be able to practice. We got training camp coming up next Tuesday. And you don't know if you can go practice. That's nothing we want to hear at all. We know Saquon Barkley has been tight-lipped about everything. So let's go into this article and let's get the exact quote. Because now he's saying he's not even going to be able to practice. Jeez. Jeez. So here we go. Saquon Barkley continued to be evasive about whether he will be ready for training camp, the preseason, and regular season action. And that's why we're just so gosh darn mad at Saquon Barkley. Let us hear it. Give us the truth. Are you just kind of, you know, um, kind of softballing this? Be like, well, yeah, you know, I don't really know if I can go. I don't know if I can really go practice. And then when he's out on the field, the man is just going wild on the field, running, cutting, everything. Speaking at his youth football camp on Monday, Barkley said he feels pretty good, but doesn't know if he'll be ready to practice when training camp kicks off. Similarly, he responded, quote, I don't know when asked about week one. Ugh, ugh. And that's, folks, this entire Giants team is riding on Saquon Barkley. We need that rushing attack threat in the backfield for the Giants to have great success, for Daniel Jones to take that year three leap that we so much want to see, for all their great six deep great fantastic tall fast speedy wide receivers that they have it all hinges on whether Saquon Barkley can go or not so you better start giving uh, giving us some optimistic attitude so we can start buying into you more because I want to buy into this Giants team I truly do I don't want to see the Cowboys at the top of the NFC East and that's no disrespect to the players on the team it's more disrespect to Mike McCarthy I want to see this Giants team be good but it depends. It hinges all on Saquon Barkley's quads. Got to be out there. Jeez. Barkley was asked Monday if his muted responses regarding the injury stem from a desire to retain a shroud of mystery or if he honestly doesn't know when he'll be cleared to participate. Let's see what he says here. Quote, I don't know. Nah, yeah, I've been asked a lot. I got, I've been asked a lot. I guess that's the theme of the summer going to be when I'll be back. Yes, it's the theme of the season. This, the Giants could be Super Bowl contenders. Do you not understand this? Honestly, folks, they could be. They could be Super Bowl contenders if Saquon Barkley is healthy. Everything else is real solid. Honestly, I'm a believer. I'm a believer in Joe Judge. He just kind of won me over. The Giants' defense has been all right, pretty above average, and the offense is just missing that elite runner in Saquon Barkley. Super Bowl contenders if he's good to go. So of course that's the theme of the summer, Saquon. Ah. <sighs> But no, I don't have that answer. To be honest, I'm not trying to lead it up to lead it up to it or something like that or put something up. I don't have the answer. It's a fun process, but it's a tough process at the same time. Just have to continue to listen to my body, listen to my trainers, listen to my coaches and take it day by day. You know, you can't tell me that Saquon Barkley truly has no idea. That's what you talk about when you're the training staff of a team, the timetable of your return. He just doesn't want us to know, which I understand. I get it. I respect. I just hate it because I want to know now. I want to know if I could buy y'all now so I can start getting hype, so I can start buying the Giants flags and the Giants three-piece canvas artwork. 
That's why. Come on, Saquon. Stop being so tight-lipped. Let it spill. Let it free. Let it out. Let it sing. Let it sing. <laughs> so, Saquon, man. You're hurting your team overall because we're slowly starting to dial back our big hype on this Giants team slowly. It's it's slowly and it's, you know, short bursts. It's like 0.1 percentage point every time. But it's still, they add up. We This is like the fourth story of Saquon Barkley keeping his lip tight saying, I don't know. That's a full half a point that we've lost on this Giants team. They're still number one, but now it's a closer number two because the Cowboys... They're, they're kind of winning us over a little bit on everything they say now that Dak's back and all that. Really just hinging on the coaches, and we'll know early on when we get an inside look at you know hard knocks whether we can buy that Dallas Cowboys team more or not. So, Saquon, we're not going to be hearing from you in training camp, but we're going to be hearing from the Cowboys, and we're going to start buying that Cowboys team if they're starting to look good, and we'll have the Cowboys at number one, and that's going to hurt your team. You want that, Saquon? You can come on my show. Saquon, if you're listening, this is an open invite to Saquon Barkley. Two takes by fans. I'll have them in studio. I'll have them on Zoom, however you want to do it. Come on the show, and let's get to the nitty-gritty details, and let's see what's going on. No more tight lip. I want to hear it. Give me the timetable. Let us hear the timetable, because I know there's a gosh darn timetable. You cannot tell me that there is no timetable. Trainers, timetable. TT alliteration, folks, right there. Trainer, timetable. Triple T. TTT. Let us hear, Saquon. Open up, sing. Let us hear how you are coming off of that ACL injury. All righty. Let's uh, talk about this quickly. Jameis Winston, another video of him working out. We saw him working out two weeks ago. Um, just kind of standing in the pocket, getting hit, keeping his eyes downfield, keeping his kind of shoulder squared, keeping the ball in his hands while he's kind of, you know, running into bags, getting hit over the head and all that. And he stayed cool, calm, collective, and, you know, it was looking good. Now we get another kind of 14-second clip of him working out. I don't really know what this drill is. I don't know what this is supposed to do. But Jameis Winston is doing it, and it looks good. It looks all right. It looks pretty good. Uh, so he's just kind of shuffling his feet, throwing, um, doing a throwing motion with like a towel in his hand. I'm not really sure what that's all about. Um, there's a dog running over the yard. Um, he doesn't know what's going on. I feel like the dog, I would be like, what the hell is going on? I guess I'm chasing this, but they're not playing with me. But it looks like they're playing with me because this doesn't look like football. But um, it's clearly not meant for the dog. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's just, um, it's looking good. I'm glad that this man puts in the work, folks. You can't knock Jameis Winston. It's hard to knock Jameis Winston, folks. He's got the yards. He's got kind of the... the uh, the, the the heart, it seems like he has the heart. Every time we hear and see of this man, he's out there working. So we give him credit for that. It's just the turnovers. That's it. It's just the kind of, you know, leadership qualities. That's the only thing that we can knock. Um, so we'll see, folks. I mean, that's another thing. I can't wait to talk about the Saints team when we kind of look at narratives to watch for. It, it's the quarterback battle. How what what did Jameis Winston learn from Drew Brees leadership wise? I don't care about passing. The man was a great passer, folks. You don't put up five thousand yards and thirty plus touchdowns in a season if you don't know how to play the game of quarterback. The interceptions obviously killer, but still hitting a five thousand yard mark, you got to give him credit for that. So Jameis Winston will always have credit for that, credit of that for us from us a hundred percent. So. We'll see if he can go out and win the starting job. He's out there practicing. I don't know if this is going to help him. <laughs> I don't know where he – I don't think Drew – you know, <laughs> I don't think he learned this drill from Drew Brees, but 
wherever he learned it, he likes it, and he looks good, <laughs> I guess. So, Jameis Winston, still out there grinding, still out there working. You love to see it. All right, last thing to talk about here. Let's see, we get a nice kind of early look into potentially Jordan Love. So, Insider shares eye-opening insight on Packers quarterback Jordan Love. Now, I don't think we're going to be seeing Jordan Love this season, like we've already said in the show, that we do believe Aaron Rodgers is going to be the starter. He will show up. His legacy depends on it. He's not going to have a missed year, and he's going to go just kind of suck it up and play for the Packers and kind of do his own thing and maybe let it fly a little bit too much because he doesn't care about the Packers. Hey, if y'all aren't going to put me out there in the, you know, key scenarios on fourth down when we're only down one score, um, then I'm going to just do it all myself. I will throw balls. I will throw a lot of interceptions. I don't care. This is what you're going to get. I think we're going to get kind of a, um, a Carson Wentz last year in Philadelphia. I think that's what kind of Aaron Rodgers is going to do. Just let the ball fly. Let it sling. If he throws a lot of picks, oh well. But he's just going to let it fly. He doesn't care about being a Packer anymore. Hey, if I'm hurting your team, then just trade me. You can just trade me. Y'all Y'all know you can trade me. I'm not leaving, and you guys aren't going to let me out of this contract. But this is what you're going to get for my level of play. I'm going to let it fly. I'm going to let it sling. Aaron Rodgers has never let the ball fly in his career. He likes to throw the ball away. He likes to kind of hit the wide open receivers, not really take too many dangerous passes that aren't 100% wide open. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers could be letting it loose this year. So that's something to kind of keep an eye out for. Is Aaron Rodgers just going to say, fuck it, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to kind of try for 7,000 yards and just let it fly because my legacy is, according to Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers' mind, in my opinion, he's like, my legacy can't go down. My legacy cannot go down any. I'm kind of locked in. May the I can only go up. My fan, the fans will always have the my back. The media will always have my back, and I can just blame everything on the coaches and the players. So I'm gonna let it fly. So watch out for that, and that could be dangerous. I mean, Aaron Rodgers letting the ball fly—that's what we want. Making the deep throws, making those tight throws. Um, you know, making those throws that you know could potentially get intercepted. High risk, high reward. Tom Brady threw three interceptions in the NFC Championship game and still won the game. High risk, high reward. Trying to fit it in. Trying to hit that throw. Trying to, you know, make that play. Let's see if Aaron Rodgers does that this season. All right, but let's go on this article and let's see what this eye-opening insight on Jordan Love is. So here we go. Nobody just nobody knows just yet how important Jordan Love will be to the Green Bay Packers in 2021, given the ambiguity... Ambigu amb ambiguity with Aaron Rodgers, but those who have gotten a preview of his year two seem to be expecting big things. Recently, ESPN insider Jeremy Fowler revealed that he spoke with one of the coaches involved in Love's workout in Texas earlier this month and was told the Packers' young first-round quarterback looked, quote, exceptionally good. Alrighty, now what have we heard from Jordan Love? So we're hearing he was exceptionally good, but then we also heard from those mandatory minicamps that Aaron Rodgers did not show up at. Remember, Jordan Love was having a good day and a bad day and then a bad day and a good day, not stacking up good days on top of each other. Those are his words, folks. Jordan Love said he wanted to stack good days on top of good days on top of good days, and he did not do that during the mandatory minicamp. So... We have to take everything that we're reading here with a grain of salt because we're getting the words from the horse's mouth of Jordan Love, what he wants to do, and then, you know, hearing from the people that saw those mandatory minicamps saying that he had a good day and then a bad day. 
not putting two good days together. And that really tells you if you're a good quarterback or not. Can you do it consistently? Anybody can have a good day. Put me out in the NFL and, you know, in 10 games and I'll have one good game. I'm sure I would, <laughs> maybe. Um, you know, but can you stack the good games, the good days, the good practices on top of good practices on top of good practices? So this guy's saying, and we have to kind of take it who we're talking about, one of the coaches, a coach. A coach is never going to badmouth their own player, especially to the media, unless they're Adam Gase, the worst coach of all time. He does that. Nobody else does that. Maybe Matt Patricia, maybe, not, not, not even Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell would never, ever talk shit about his players. Ever. Ever. Adam Gase does. That tells you all you need to know about Adam Gase. <laughs> um, but, you know, this coach, this Packers coach said he was, quote, exceptionally good. We'll see. He was exceptionally good on the practice field in the build in the build up to his second NFL training camp with the team. Quote, Jordan Love just worked out in Texas with Deshaun Watson and Justin Fields. Um, that's pretty interesting. Let me pause this. This is starting to play for some reason. Um, all right. Here we go. Back to the article. Jordan Love just worked out in Texas with Deshaun Watson and Justin Fields. Uh, they all share the same agent. I spoke to a coach who was involved in the workout. He said Love looks exceptionally good, and that's not hyperbole. This coach works with a lot of quarterbacks around the league, and he said, quote, the energy out of the ball, when Love throws it, it's tangible. He's just got an elite arm. Wow, an elite arm? Wow, that's a pretty big, uh, pretty big green flag. Pretty big quote to throw around. Elite arm. Wow. Quote, and so he could surprise some people if he does get in games this year, especially with enough arm strength to pierce through the Green Bay cold. So that's what the coach is saying. One of the coaches involved saying that Jordan Love looked exceptionally good and has an elite arm. A lot of pressure to put on Jordan Love, who, which we didn't really hear about that. The mandatory minicamps, the OTAs, we didn't hear Jordan Love being that great. So somebody's lying. <laughs> somebody's lying. So we'll see. What happens with the Packers? They open up uh, training camp on July 28th on the Wednesday. So we'll see. We believe Aaron Rodgers is going to show up. And if he does, then Jordan Love, we don't even have to hear from him. So we'll see. Alrighty, those were all the stories we needed to talk about. So let's head over to the NBA and break down that game. Do not think we are going to be able to get to the uh, NFC Championship game Packers Falcons 2016 to judge Aaron Rodgers. But we can save that for another day. We are not worried about it. So let's talk about game five, a pivotal game in the series, tied 2-2, Suns at home, and what do the Bucks do? They go on the road and play, spoiler baby, absolutely magnificent game from this Bucks team, not from the jump, but from the second quarter on, because they were, you know, they, they lost the uh, first quarter, I think by 15 points, I think they were down 15, yeah, 16, even worse, down 37 to 21 in the first quarter, but just kept at it, that's what this Bucks team is all about, folks, resiliency, just sticking with the process, not, not riding the highs too much, the highest of highs too much, not riding the lowest of lows too much, they're just playing, folks, they're just out there, they know it's a full four quarters, a full 48 minutes to play out there in a basketball game, they know it's a game of runs. They know it's a game of spurts. They know it's a game of scoring baskets and defensive back-to-back -back stops. They know all of this. They never feed into that narrative that, oh, my God, you just you got down by 15. Everybody on Twitter after the first quarter was saying that they were turning off the game. Real lame to say. 
It's a game of runs, folks. We all know this in the NBA. In the Bucks, especially know that. Folks, every time we hear from Giannis, it's all humble as heck. It's all about, you know, I'm just going to go out there and play. So he dunks on me. So, I, so I'm posterized. So I miss back-to-back -back free throws. I don't care. I don't care. I'm still going to play. I'm going to go get mine. And then what did he do at the end of the game? Uh, Lob City dunked. That really kind of sealed the deal. So, yeah, he misses a couple of free throws. He will get it done. He will always step up in the biggest of big games down late when it's a tie game or down one, down two, close game, tied game, up one, up two. He will go and seal the deal defensively, offensively. That's why we love this Bucks team. Giannis, baby. Giannis. Down 16 in the first quarter. And then they go out and win by four. Love that by this Bucks team. Down, um, well, they swept the Heat, so that wasn't anything bad. But then, you know, they go and have to face the Nets, and they lose the first uh, two games. They're down 0-2 going into home. And then, you know, they find themselves in Game 7 on the road, and they step up. They find themselves down 0-1 at home against the Hawks, unfortunate. And what do they do? They power their way back. They go and get it done in six games. They are used to this, folks. And they always use that advantage they always use that to their advantage when they go out and face, you know, some of these teams that, you know, ride the highs of highs. Chris Paul, you know, a great game one, a good game two, and then really falling off game three. And then he kind of, you know, buys into that he's falling off in game four. And then he had a good game five. Just unfortunately, one mistake by him, one mistake by Devin Booker. And that's your two all-star, you know, superstars on your team floundering at the end of the games, making kind of, you know, nonsensical mistakes to really just kind of lose the game. Giannis doesn't do that. He'll miss a free throw, but they'll get the offensive rebound, you know, just because he misses it so bad, and they've got a lot more height, um, a lot more beef than the Suns team, so he can miss it, and then he'll make up for it with a slam dunk poster over Chris Paul. So, um, before we get into the stats, should we go stats? I kind of want to watch a couple of plays here. Um, really just kind of the final about three minutes of the game. Just because it was so back and forth and there was clutchness on the Suns, there was clutchness on the Bucks, and there was big old flounders by the Suns team. So I just kind of want to go over it because it was a real close game. Not a close game. The The Bucks did kind of lose the lead a little bit. Um, what was their biggest lead up to this point? Um, about 10? Was it about 10? 12-ish? 113-105? Was that kind of 114-107? That's less than t uh, 12. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, uh, no, that's 8. So, yeah. I mean, their biggest lead in the fourth quarter was about 10. Any more than 10? Yeah, about 10. So, the score, 110-100. Let's get that up. What was that? 110-100. With about 7 minutes left in the game. And then they, the Suns brought it down to 117 to 107. So once again, another 10-point lead with 325. And that's where the Suns really started to come back a little bit and put the pressure on the Bucks. So let's start watching a little bit of some of this. So let's start here. Chris Paul. Makes a huge shot here. They are down 10 points with 319. And, you know, everybody had a real great game in this game, folks. This was a real great game five. Everybody, the superstars at their peak, it's just the Suns made two bonehead mistakes late in the game with, like, less than a minute left. And the Bucks will always take advantage of that because they're used to battling back. They're used to kind of, you know, making mistakes in the early game, cleaning up and kind of playing, do I dare say, flawless basketball in the fourth quarter? 
I, kind of, I, I think so. So here we go. Chris Paul hitting a, hitting a huge three. Bucks up 117-107 with three minutes, 19 seconds left. And Chris Paul just takes it. Pull up three, cash out, CP3, yes sir, makes it a seven-point game. An absolutely huge shot by Chris Paul right there. Then we get a turnover by P.J. Tucker. Middleton fouls. We don't need to see this. Middleton fouls. Hang on, let's go back here. Here we go. <clears throat> All right. Here we go. Middleton fouls, and then DeAndre Ayton goes to the line. He hits the first one. He hits the second one. Now it's 117-112. And then Chris Middleton, baby. A huge three. Chris Middleton, man. Once again, he's been great this series. I don't call him Batman, and I'm going to... Try not to disrespect him, but I think a lot of people are getting too clouded on Chris Middleton. Uh, and he's great. Don't get us wrong. He's real good. He's been real great these last three games here. Um, but I do think overall it's a lot of people working together. I'm not putting it all on Chris Middleton. Everybody wants to put all the success for the Bucks on Chris Middleton. Nobody wants to give respect to Giannis for his great defensive plays, great kind of offensive ceiling game plays in game three and four. Um, a lot of people are just saying, hey, Chris Middleton's finally getting it done. But Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday had a great game, and so did Pat Connaughton, folks. And we're going to talk all about that when we talk about the stats. But let's uh, finish up these last kind of three minutes of the game. So now, uh, Bucks up only five now. And Chris Middleton goes. And he's going to hit a huge basket right here. A little step back, three-point over McCall Bridges, baby. Chris Middleton stepping up huge, making the game from a five-point lead to an eight-point lead. Absolutely fantastic. Then we get Devin Booker, the superstar for the Suns, trying to kind of, you know, keep the game close, keep the Suns in it. He goes, drives on Giannis, able to get a nice scoop layup, and once again, cut the lead down to six points. Two-possession game if they make both threes. Now we get Chris Middleton missing a layup. This is what we're talking about with Chris Middleton. It's always 50-50 in the late game scenarios. He hits a big three. He's a hero. Then he misses this, and nobody wants to talk about it. Overall, he's consistently inconsistent, folks. Yes, he hits some big shots, but he also kind of flounders a little bit. We just talked about this one in depth in game four when um, he had the chance to really ice the game. They were already up two. Um, this would have put him up four points. He had a chance to make a mid-range. He misses it. They get the offense rebound, give it right back to him, and he misses another one. And then it comes to Giannis to make the defensive play, and then which translates to the three-on-one fast break for Chris Middleton to score. So I'm I'm all for giving Chris Middleton his props and his dues, but I think we're I think the media and Twitter are going a little bit overboard on what Chris Middleton is truly doing for the squad. It's real good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking him. I'm just not giving him all the credit that the media and uh, Twitter are giving him. I'm, I'm knocking it down about 30 credit points. If we're talking about 100 credit points, I'm knocking it down maybe 20, 30 points. All right, but here we go. This is Chris Middleton now. Up six. Booker just put the pressure on you to score, and he drives into the lane and just loses the ball. Really just loses the ball. Unfortunate. All right, then we get uh, Devin Booker going, and he gets blocked. Or did he do the blocking? They count, oh, they gave him the block for that Chris Middleton. Okay, okay. <clears throat> All right, 
And then they get the ball back. They say the ball went off Devin Booker. And then Chris Middleton gets the ball back again. This time he tries to hit a jumper over Devin Booker and misses it. So once again, we get Chris Middleton trying to really put away the game. Misses two opportunities, folks. We have to, you know, hold this. You can't just take the good and only focus on the good. You have to take the good with the bad and do an overall kind of, you know, overall judgment. Yes, Chris Middleton was good. Yes, he was hitting some clutch clutch key shots in the final three minutes but as it got closer to that final buzzer to try to truly put away the game he also floundered in some big opportunities leaving the door open for the Suns down six with the 30 with a minute and 39 seconds left in the game to try and win the game or get you know cut the lead down 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 even more so Chris Middleton misses another jumper now we get Deion, uh, Devin Booker, baby. A huge shot by him. Huge three-point shot. This one's crazy. Um, just kind of, you know, twisting his body in midair. Sizing up the basket. Hitting it over Drew Holiday. Now it's a three-point game because Chris Middleton drove to the bucket. Lost it. Hit a, uh, tried to hit a long two. His foot was on the line. Real bad shot to take. Not even a three. And he misses it as well. Leaving the door open for a superstar in Devin Booker to now make it a three-point game. What else is next here? All right. Then we get Giannis ha uh, going to the free throw line. Unfortunate. Misses both of them. Once again, truly unfortunate by Giannis missing both free throws. And then we get Chris Paul after they grab this board on the second missed free throw. Chris Paul down three. He's like, Devin Booker just hit a big shot. Well, I'm about to hit a big shot too. Drives right past Pat Connaughton and puts it up. And now it's a one-point game. Giannis missing free throws. Chris Middleton missing mid-range jumpers. Not great. One-point game. All right, who takes the next shot for the Bucs? It's Drew Holiday who flounders here. He misses. Up one with 35 seconds left. Drew Holiday tries to do a little bit of a mid-range floater, and it doesn't go, and the Suns get the board. Suns get the board. Oh, boy, they have a chance to take the lead here. But what happens? Devin Booker is going to turn the ball over. Once again, I mean, this is this is the play that really just seals it right here. Um, who lost the ball? It was... Um, who lost the ball in game four? Chris Paul loses it. Giannis throws it ahead, causes a turnover. They're able to kind of go on the three-on-one fast break and end the game there. This time in game five, Devin Booker loses the ball here, just trying to do too much on this play. They're down one. Devin Booker against P.J. Tucker gets into the paint. And he tries to go for a better shot. He should have just taken the mid-range jumper, but he tried to get into the paint a little bit. Take the shot right there. You had him slipping. You had P.J. Tucker slipping. But then he tries to get greedy and go into the paint for a better shot. You can hit the mid-range. In game, what was it, three when they lost? Or was it game four where he shot like 60% on 41 points? They all came from mid-range jumpers. 0 of 3 from the three. Take that mid-range jumper down one. That's your shot. But he tries to go down into the paint. And then, you know, it's clogged right there. Drew Holiday, once again, another great defensive play by him. To steal the ball away from Devin Booker. And then... It's a fast break, and what does he do? Giannis wants to call game. Giannis wants to make up for his two missed free throws and ice the game. He calls for the lob. Oh, my goodness. Drew Holiday throws it perfectly, and Giannis with the lob dunk on Chris Paul, 
And this is where we get Chris Paul really doing his bonehead play. So this is Devin Booker's bonehead play of trying to do another extra step inside the paint when you're going into Giannis. Why are you going into Giannis? Seven foot big wingspan. Take the smaller PJ Tucker. You just bodied him right there. Take the little bit of a fadeaway jumper right there at the free throw line. That's exactly your shot. Great. That's a great high percentage shot to take in this situation. So Devin Booker just tries to do too much. Gets trapped, loses the ball. That's his bonehead play. And then Chris Paul fouling Giannis on the dunk attempt. It goes down. It's an and one. And now it's a three-point game with Giannis going to the free throw line to try to make it a four-point game. Two possession. But Giannis misses it. But they get the defensive rebound or the offensive rebound, folks. How do you let this happen? You needed this. It's a three-point game, one-possession game with 13 seconds left. You can take that kind of game-time three, go into overtime. But you let them get the rebound, and then it's game over at that point. Look at this. Giannis misses it badly right off the front of the rim. And then Drew Holiday crashes the boards to help tip it back out, to help put pressure on it. I mean, look at Drew Holiday, folks. Can we talk about Drew Holiday pushing Devin Booker all the way down inside, making Devin Booker take a bad tip at the ball so the Bucks can get it? That's hard. What did Chris Middleton do? Chris Middleton just stayed back, which he should have done. That was good by him. I'll give uh, Chris Middleton that. He was able to kind of get the back tap, but it was all kind of, once again, Chris Middleton getting the credit by everybody else setting up the play. Giannis missing the free throw. I'm sure that was not intentional, but hey, he still missed it good enough so they could try to get the board. And then Drew Holiday crashing the board to force Devin Booker to take a bad tip out. And then Chris Middleton just being at the right place at the right time. Just somehow the credit falling into his lap. A little bit. So Chris Paul makes the foul, which uh, turns into Chris Middleton getting this rebound, rebound. And then what does Chris Middleton do? He splits the free throws. He still made one to make it a two-possession game, which is good. Definitely what you needed. But this man almost floundered when y'all wanted to call him Batman. So, yes, we can give Chris Middleton credit, but not as much credit as y'all are saying. Y'all are ready to give this man finals MVP. And if that happens, if somehow Chris Middleton gets finals MVP over Giannis, I'm, I'm, I may get canceled because I'll, I'll have, a lot to, have a lot to say on that uh, next day show when we talk about it. So, Chris Middleton... Makes his second free throw, and then it's game over from there. So now let's go to the stats and kind of, you know, put this all into perspective here. Not taking anything away from Chris Middleton, folks. I'm truly not. I'm just saying he doesn't deserve as much credit as everybody else is kind of giving him. I think it's a little bit, it's a little irresponsible. <laughs> it's a little irresponsible to give Chris Middleton all this credit, folks. He's good. He's been great this finals this final series. He's been getting more better and more consistent as the playoffs get as the playoffs go on. I will give you that. But he's not he's not number 1 on this Bucks team and I kind of want to say he's not even number 2. That's a little disrespectful, but I it's something I'm entertaining. Giannis 1, Drew Holiday 2, Chris Middleton 3. I know it's a little blasphemous to say Chris Middleton's 3, but I think it's something about that uh something along those lines. Uh obviously we need to watch this entire finals um wrap up. We need to digest everything. So we don't have recency bias, and then we'll make our overall judgment. But let's talk about this Bucks team now. And honestly, just in game five, Chris Middleton was number four. He was number four, folks, on this Bucks team. Fourth credit on who really won this game. I'm giving Chris Middleton fourth. 
Sorry. And we'll talk about it right here. So here we go. The Bucks. Drew Holiday. Let's start with him. Great night. Great night. Great freaking night. Uh, Four-point win. And he was a plus 14 on the floor. Absolutely fantastic defense. We saw him with the kind of the key steal on Devin Booker, um, which leads to the great pass. I mean, can we talk about that pass? High pressure. If he just threw that ball out of bounds, I mean, Suns probably win that game just because there's no more. All the momentum went back to the Suns. Be like, damn, that man just threw the ball out of bounds, trying to do a lob, trying to stunt on us, trying to dunk on us. You're trying to put an exclamation point on this game, and you threw the ball away. Pressure, uh, momentum goes to the Suns, and it's pretty much game over at that point, in my opinion. So Drew Holiday, an absolutely great game. 27 points, 13 assists, 3 steals. I mean, folks, leading the category, leading all these categories. Assists, steals, blocks, one block. Fantastic. And he only had two turnovers on 13 assists. I mean, those are Chris Paul numbers, no? We all loved Chris Paul for going 27-13 and only two turnovers. Yes? Let's get big on this Drew Holiday, folks. Really icing out the game as well. Huge clutch performances. Defensive side of the ball. Offensive side, assisting side of the ball. Got it done. And he shot 60%. Three of six from the three. Magnificent game by Drew Holiday. Then we get Chris Middleton. A solid game as well. Plus four and a six-point win. We love it. Or four, plus four and a four-point win. We love it. 29 points, seven rebounds, five assists, and he shot 52%. Love that. No more 40s. Get that 52%. That's good. That's real, real good. Three of eight from the three. I think that's exactly what he did in game four. Game three where he had the 41-point game. I'm not. I, I'm forgetting if it was game four or game three. I think it was game four. Um, then we have Brook Lopez still only playing 20 minutes. That's a little bit more than he's been playing. He's been averaging about 20, 22 minutes uh, a game. Uh, nine points, six rebounds, and he was a plus 10 on the floor. Real solid there. Giannis Antetokounmpo, 37 points. Now, he was a minus 7 on the floor. Really not great there. Uh, but 32 points, nine rebounds, six assists, key clutch bucket, Key clutch dunk. Unfortunately, he missed a free throw. Unfortunate. But they got the ball back. So how do we kind of weigh that overall? I don't know just quite yet. Still bad. You still got to make that. But at the end of the day, they still got it back and wasted some time. But at the end of the day, they still only scored one point. So it's not like they scored two points. Chris Middleton only missing, making the one free throw. So overall, in the grand scheme of things, you probably want Giannis making that free throw, obviously. He shot 4 of 11 from the free throw line, the the worst that he's done in this series, unfortunate. But he also shot 61% on 23 shots, so we give him credit for that. Um, and like we said, we give him credit for just kind of, you know, the good defense of, you know, showing in the paint when Devin Booker was trying to go there. So Devin Booker couldn't kind of, you know, hit a floater, hit a jump range, a mid-range jump paint shot uh, because Giannis is there, forcing him to kind of turn around into Drew Holiday. So we give credit for Giannis on that and then obviously on the dunk end. So overall, a pretty solid game by Giannis. And then P.J. Tucker, three points on two shots. We know he doesn't score like that. He did hit a three, so I will give him credit for that. But also a minus seven on the floor. Uh, lucky that Devin Booker didn't pull up over you as he kind of destroyed you a little bit. All right, so I said Chris Middleton was kind of the three here, and that's because we had Pat Connaughton. Love this man getting big minutes off the bench. This is what we've been wanting for a long time. We wanted him in the starting lineup, but he's getting starting minutes, more minutes than Brooke Lopez, and more minutes than P.J. Tucker. So we absolutely love that by Pat Connaughton. 14 points and 6 rebounds, 4 of 6 from the three, folks. That's all he shot. And he got to the line twice and sunk them both for his 14 points, but 
He was also a plus 10 on the floor. He was a real solid defensive piece out here. Chris Paul driving on him. Not the best performance there late, but it's Chris Paul, superstar over a non-superstar. Overall, Pat Connaughton just kind of, you know, in the middle of the game, really was the one to help turn around their 16-point deficit in the first quarter. Hey, big threes, good defensive stops, and he's a plus 10 on the floor. We love that, absolutely. So I give kind of Chris Middleton overall the fourth spot. I give Drew Holiday maybe one, Giannis two, Pat Connaughton three, and Chris Middleton four, folks. I kind of give it like that. Just kind of credit of who deserves how much credit for the overall win here. And I don't want to disrespect. I'm not disrespecting Chris Middleton, folks. I'm not. I'm just saying it's a little premature and a little irresponsible to give him all this credit, I think. He has some good with some bad, folks, and that's what we've been seeing. It's never all good by Chris Middleton. It's 41 points on 40% shooting. It's, you know, hitting clutch shots in the final three minutes, but also missing a free throw, you know, that could have potentially hurt them with 13 seconds left. Missing two back-to-back -back jump shots with about a minute left. It's the good with the bad. It's 50-50. It's mediocre. It's average. I'm not giving him all this credit. All right, now let's talk about the Suns, and they all had great games, folks. Chris Paul, 21 points, 11 assists, and he only had one turnover. Real solid. Unfortunately, a minus six on the floor. He also shot 60% from the field and three of three from three. So an overall great night by Chris Paul. Unfortunate that Bonehead mistake to follow Giannis to give him that free throw that led to, you know, the offensive rebound that led to Chris Middleton making the free throw. It's unfortunate. If not, it's a three-point game with 13 seconds left. Suns have the ball. They probably just take the last shot. For the three to tie up the game. They don't get that chance. Devin Booker, 40 points, a plus 12 on the floor. 51% shooting on 33 shots. Two of four from the three. Four rebounds, three assists, two steals, one block. I mean, that was great. He had two turnovers. One of them was the turnover that really sealed the deal of the game because he didn't want to take that jump shot. Once again, an overall great game by the Suns. Just come down to two bonehead plays. One by Chris Paul of the foul on Giannis dunking. And one by Devin Booker of forcing the turnover when he should have just taken the mid-range jumper. DeAndre Ayton, a plus six. Love that. In 44 minutes, a plus six on the floor. 20 points, 10 rebounds. Exactly what we wanted DeAndre Ayton to do. He did it. So, great night. Jay Crowder, 10 points, 5 rebounds, 2 of 4 from the 3. Unfortunately, a minus 7 on the floor, not the greatest. He had 5 rebounds and 3 assists and 2 steals. You love to see that. No turnovers as well. Solid, kind of classic Jay Crowder performance. And then McCall Bridges, 13 points on 6 shots, 3 of 3 from the 3. A plus 5 on the floor, 4 rebounds, 1 assist, 2 steals, 1 block. Overall, solid night by McCall Bridges. Unfortunately, just Devin Booker and Chris Paul. One error. One error leads to them losing and now down 3-2 going into Milwaukee. Cameron Payne um, off the bench in 14 minutes. Didn't get a lot of minutes out there. Would have liked to see him a little bit more. I want to I kind of see him, do I dare say, in a Pat Connaughton role of 33-plus minutes? Sue me. <laughs> but Cameron Payne, 14 minutes, 6 points, 4 assists, 4 rebounds, 42% on 7 shots. Not bad. He was a minus 4. Not the greatest there. Cameron Johnson, 6 points in 21 minutes, but a minus 19 on the floor. The worst by far, by big time far on the Suns team. So uh, Cameron Johnson really kind of getting 8 defensively, unfortunately. And then Torrey Craig only playing 9 minutes still. Uh, 3 points on 4 shots in a minus 7. So Cameron Payne, 14 minutes and kind of did the best. And you give Cameron Johnson 21? Uh, eh, meh, meh, meh. So, 
Suns, man, they played a great game, got out to a hot start, lost it midway, second, third quarter, came back late fourth quarter, mid-late fourth quarter, and then Chris Paul and Devin Booker just go flop, 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 and they lose the game. So now game six heads back to Milwaukee, up 3-2, a chance to close out the game. I think they could cl- truly close it out, folks. This Bucks team at home, they don't play around at home, folks. They get it done at home. The Suns struggled on the road here. So it's not looking good. Chris Paul and Devin Booker are going to have to get their act together and be clutch. Can they do it? We'll see. We'll talk about the game more tomorrow um, and kind of choose our outcome because game six is tomorrow, 9 o'clock on ABC, potentially the last finals game. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Let's quickly take a look if there's any breaking news as we were live. Anything, anything, anything good. What do we got? 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 We got nothing, folks. Nothing breaking. So we're back tomorrow live noon Eastern, potentially watching the division game, the NFC Championship game. And, um... Talking about game six and making our prediction. Seeing what the line is. Making some money. We won on game five, folks. Bucks plus three and a half. Bingo, bango. Win by four. Love it. All right, folks. Uh, that's That does it for today, for us today. We'll